In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 27, Paul says, I discipline my body and make it my slave. You know, we often forget, guys, that God has called us to steward the bodies he gave us so that we'll be ready, healthy, and spiritually dangerous to fight the good fight, whether it's working at your job, serving your God, protecting your bride, or being a great dad to your kids. That's why we're so excited to partner with Mountain Tough Fitness Lab. Mountain Tough Fitness Lab is run by Christian men who are passionate about training you to be your best version and to stay dangerous and ready for God. Join me on my journey by going to mountaintough.com. That's M-T-N-T-O-U-G-H and getting your free six-week trial when you type in the code ARENA30. You won't be disappointed. Stay dangerous. Men, did you know that the page on our website that gets the most traffic has to deal with overcoming pornography? We've spent a lot of time on this subject over the years, but we've never had one episode where we list all of the resources available to you and who they benefit most. Join us today as we're going to dive headlong into this. It's not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who was actually in the arena, whose face is marked by dust and sweat and blood. Welcome to the Men in the Arena podcast, where we interview specialists in the realm of manhood. Each of our guests is an expert in their chosen field or cause as it relates to men. Our conviction is to call you into the arena of manhood, call you out of the faceless, nameless bleachers, and call you up to be the best version of you. Because when a man gets it, everyone wins. Enjoy today's episode. Men in the Arena Army, we salute you. Hey guys, welcome to this episode of the Men in the Arena podcast. I'm Jim Ramos, your guide and host, leading you to your best version in that stress bubble of life and beyond. Thank you for joining us on Spotify's number one podcast for Christian men. This week, I want to share with you one of our 365 hero stories. As you know, we're collecting a hero story for every day of the year. A hero story is a story of transformation. Either you've been transformed by some component of our ministry or somebody that you love has. This is hero story number 164. It's from a guy who's already in the arena. His name is David. He's out of North Carolina. In his hero story, he tells us that he's already running a men's ministry in his area. But our episode with Bill Hebel about forgiving forward, this is a phenomenal interview that we had about forgiveness. He said that was deeply impacting in his life, helping him overcome bitterness and unforgiveness. He talked about it being a cancer. And so, David, thank you so much. We're so excited to see you finding freedom on the other side of unforgiveness. So God bless you, man. Hit us up at menarena.org with your email, with your physical address, and we will send you some swag. Hey guys, make sure you stay tuned to the end of this episode today so you can hear our weekly man law. And again, thanks again, guys, for making this Spotify's number one podcast for Christian men. Hey, I am super excited today to bring my old friend on here, Sam Black. He's been married 28 years. Sam is the director of recovery education at Covenant Eyes. He joined Covenant Eyes in 2007 after 18 years as an award-winning journalist. He's edited 16 books on the impact of pornography and speaks at 
parent, men's, and leaders' events. He walks his own grace-filled journey with the support of his valued allies and is passionate about helping Christian men live free from pornography. Probably all men, actually. Probably all men and women. Sam is the author of several books, including The Healing Church, What Churches Get Wrong About Pornography and How to Fix It, which is the book over his left shoulder with a cross if you have YouTube. And it is our subject of today. Sam, it's always great to have you on the show, man. Jim, thanks for having me. I'm looking forward to this conversation. We're going to have a good time. Yeah, you're one of those guys, when I have you on the show, I go, this is an easy one. Because you (laughs) just some guys you connect with, some you don't. And I just think it's probably a bald thing. Yeah. I mean, you got to have the right hair. I know. I mean, I just think there's a natural like brotherhood. It's like the band of brothers, you know, type of thing. So, well, hey, let's, let's jump into this thing, man. If guys hadn't heard our last interview with you, tell us a little bit about yourself the book and why you wrote it. And before you answer, I will say this. I read all 266 pages of this book. And I'll tell you, this book is different than any other book on the subject I've ever read. And I'm excited about diving into it. But why don't you tell us your perspective? Yeah, well, thank you. You know, I've spent almost 17 years at Covenant Eyes. And over those years, I've, I've gotten the opportunity to speak to amazing churches, amazing uh, pastors and leaders and counselors, and and been to so many events. And what I heard so often, so many times, was that people who had found freedom from pornography were selling, telling me, "Hey, Sam, you know, it, you know, I just love the freedom I'm living in, but when I look back, my church didn't help me very much." That's not the way it's supposed to be. God's place is the church is God's his means for us uh, to grow, to live in wholeness and freedom in every aspect of our life, not just from pornography, but every point part of our life. And when we want that freedom, we should be able to know that our church is a safe place with a real safe process that really not just kind of coats and sues and say, hey, I hope you get better. I hope that turns out okay for you. But you can now live in Christ freedom in your life. You know, it's interesting, Sam. And I, and again, this is a 266-page book, so I'm assuming it's probably in the 80,000 word count. How many words do you remember? Somewhere around 85,000. Yeah, I was, guessing, I was guessing that. So, But in that book somewhere, I thought I read that the percentage of churches that actually are helping people find freedom over sex addiction is 7%. Did I read that right? Well, that's the number of the percentage of churches who are doing anything at all. Oh, <laughs> sorry. I exaggerated. <laughs> so it would be really great if we even had that. Well, you know, we really need to step this up in, in, in the local church. Right. And maybe some of your listeners here today, are part of that answer, because uh, so often we have treated this one topic as too taboo to really talk about within the local church. Maybe we've done it at this men's gathering and just had a, a celebrity speaker come in and talk about the issue for a little bit, or what maybe we've said, hey, that's wrong. We've, we've done the typical purity sermon, uh, but it's not really taking men out of that bondage that they're trapped in. So how can we do that better? And that's why I wrote The Healing Church. It's a primer to help people understand how do men and women get stuck? Why do they often stay stuck without help? And how can the church be a, a, a place of healing and growth where people, not just uh, a place just to talk, hey, I, I I messed up, or 
find an accountability uh, group and try to put on your best performance, but really dive in, really dig deep, really have someone who can walk alongside you in a process that leads to lasting freedom and not this cycle of of perfectionism and shame that keeps people trapped uh, in the struggle of pornography. Well, you know, it's really interesting. So in the 90s, and I'm not going to tell you which state, but in the 90s, I read a statistic in the 90s that this particular conservative state that was kind of known as one of the most moral states in our country had the highest abortion rate, but nobody talked about it. And I was really intrigued in your book, and I want you to unpack this a little bit because I might get this wrong, that you found through your research that the areas where pornography usage was the lowest were the more liberal uh, states, like I'm in the Pacific Northwest, California, you quoted, I think there might have been Washington. So why is it that some of these liberal theological... theologically, politically liberal states have statistically less porn usage. How does that have to play into the shame thing that you're talking about? You know, that is crazy, isn't it? Why would the conservative South, Utah, and other places, states that are very conservative, uh, be watching more pornography than states like Hawaii, Colorado, New Mexico? Uh, and so there's there's some things that we need to address in our conservative circles. Uh, and are we driving people to, you know, there was there were not uh, clear definitions where, where maybe that in these conservative states, people thought that they had to go online to search for pornography because they could find it in other places or or was it that some other underlying issues that might be contributing? And I explore some of these underlining contributing issues within the healing church. One of them is that in 77% of men who say they have a struggle with pornography came from homes with very rigid rules. Now, there's nothing wrong with setting uh, standards for the movies we watch, the music we listen to, the places we go, etc. That's, that, that's godly. We want to do that. But so often in our strict religious homes, we've often simply drawn a line in the sand where crossing that line is simply met with shame and even violence rather than let me give you a deeper understanding, son, daughter, why we don't go to those movies, why we don't have a subscription to those uh, streaming services, et cetera, right? why we're using software tools on our devices or on our television sets, et cetera, right? So what we need to do is have greater discipleship in our Christians' homes where we're teaching and instructing with the lessened rigidity of that. So it takes away the rigidity when you actually have a conversation you're teaching your kids in the way they should go so they will not depart from it. That's really cool, man. Well, as you were speaking, a, a book came up in my brain I read in the 90s by Josh McDowell called Raising Kids That Turn Out Right. It had a yellow and black cover. I'm sure you read it. And in that book, he said this statement, and it reminded me of the statement. And what you just said reminded me of that statement. He said, rules without relationship equal rebellion. Is that what you're saying? It, it's not, I don't know if it's rebellion, if it's, uh, if there's some, but the, those rigid rules were evident within 77% of men who said they struggle. 
if we back up just a little bit here, what are the common ways? I thought I was sort of unique in my struggle with pornography uh, growing up, but I I wasn't. Uh, There are three common factors for men and women as well who are struggling with pornography on on an ongoing basis. One is the early exposure to pornography as a child uh, in a rigid home. Can we talk about that when it happens, or is it too shaming to say, "Oh, mom, dad, look what I was! I saw this, and will I get in trouble if I talk about it?" Right. So we want to make it available. We want to be the parent who says, "Hey, son, daughter, if you ever see this, we want you to know. Did you still? It's safe to come to us. We want you to talk to us." Right. Number two, so early exposure. The ongoing use and repetition, especially through adolescence, and some drama or trauma, especially early in life. Those are the three things that sort of cement this from just being interesting, curious, uh, even exciting and fun to, man, I'm stuck, right? It's not just a matter of knowing right from wrong. And so I came from one of those homes with some very rigid rules. Um I was 10 years old also when I was first exposed to pornography. I remember coming out of our home in Florida and my brother, who was 10 years older than me, was leaning up against his car with his friend and they were looking at a magazine sideways. And that just didn't make any sense. Yeah, with a long, a, pa- a long page hanging down. I know he wasn't the sharpest stick in the book, but, yeah. in the, in the wick, but you know, Hey, so he's looking at it sideways. How can you read sideways? And I said, what are you guys looking at? And they turned it around And I didn't step away, even though I grew up in a Christian home, I stepped forward because every child is naturally curious. But, you know, I just told you a story, too, about that. I just told you a full story about the first time that I saw pornography, even though I can't tell you anything else about that day. And I found that every man pretty much listening to this podcast right now can recall, especially if they were exposed to pornography as a child, about the first time that they saw it, they can tell you a full story, even though they can't tell you anything else about the day. That's how impactful it is on that young child. That's really interesting because I I can go back and tell you the first time that I was exposed and I found a book that my parents had, a sex book. Mm -hmm. And uh, I was like, oh, I didn't even, you know, and I can remember that event. I was probably seven, eight, I don't know. But that's interesting. I never thought of that. That's really powerful. So as we- So your dopamine fires off it. Oh, focuses your attention, right? Oh. And dopamine also helps burn memories, emotional memories into the brain. And it lo- works along with something called norepinephrine, which is associated with fight or flight. And so, uh, especially today's pornography is very shocking. It's violent. Uh, so it's even more impactful on children, right? Uh, hardcore, violent, demeaning. So it can be very shocking. So when, again, those two things work together to help Burn that memory into the brain. You know what? That just so I'm I'm just going back to when I was a little kid. Now, right? So I remember that book that we found, and my neighbor across the street had his dad had a stack of mags, and Hustler and Playboy. And then my other neighbor, my other buddy, his dad was a cop, and he had in his garage gym Playboy centerfolds pinned up. And so those were those images, right? But but the difference today is those images are alive. They're not pictures. They're not static. They're actually movies is what these kids are being exposed to. So it's real. So I want to, I want to do something I've never done on this podcast. And we've had 630 something episodes and we haven't done this in a long time. And I want to do a, a little rapid fire round. And so the rapid fire round, I found three, three words or phrases. One of them you've already alluded to. I found three words or phrases in your book that seem to be 
uh, thematic in, in, in the sense, uh, or powerful words, or words I just didn't understand. And I want to ask you about these three things, and, and then we're going to jump into some other questions I have about the book, because I, I really think that if you are a, I'm going to say this right now, if you are a spiritual leader listening to this, or if you are a man who's looking to resource yourself, this book gives you more resources than I've ever seen in any book on the subject, and this book addresses spiritual leaders more than any other book I've read on the subject, and it really talks about churches that are doing it right. So if you're one of those two people groups, this really, I want you to lean forward, lean into this. So, so here are the three phrases. Ready? The first phrase, you've already talked about it, so I'm going to give you a little bit more time, is called, the phrase is, safe place, safe process. Right. So uh, we like to think that we're a very, that we're safe people because we're Christians and we, we certainly we can hear, listen to each other, right? But it's, is it safe though? One of the foundational principles of the biblical faith is James 5.16, to confess our sins to one another and pray for one another that we may be healed. But I'll go to a small church and they'll say, hey, Sam, you know, uh, we're, we're a small church. We've got 100 people here and uh, we all know each other and our kids go to school. We, we've grown up together. It's we just too familiar, know each other too well to really practice that kind of vulnerability. And then I'll go to a large church, mega church of 5,000, 10,000 people. They'll say, hey, Sam, uh, I, I'm really looking for someone to be my covenantized ally, someone who's going to receive my ongoing report of how I use my phones, tablets, computers, et cetera. But I don't know anyone well enough that I can trust, that, that I've learned, that I've communed with enough to really do that with. So it's not the size of the church that's the problem, right? We need to ask ourselves what part of James 5.16, do we not believe? And can, can we be that listening ear? Are we practicing Galatians 6 where we're uh, carrying one another's burdens, where we where we gently correct, and we don't grow weary of that, right? And so a safe place simply allows you to come as you are, but you're loved too much to let be left the same. And in some churches, it's super safe. You can come just as you are, but there's, but there's never, you're never called to live a biblical life. And so it's safe, but there's no change. And you know, the other side of that spectrum is a, a church that's not safe, that it is very condemning and shame-based, where Christians aren't supposed to have any problems. In fact, if you have a struggle with pornography, maybe you just don't belong with us. <laughs> or maybe we just gossip about you and we say this quick prayer, but man, we just don't want to let him too close to anything else we're doing, right? But in a safe environment, we love you just as you are. And that Christians too have strongholds that maybe they've never dealt with well. And so it's important that we do that because this work isn't just important to the individual it's eternal, and it's important to the entire church. Because when we practice this, we create new disciples. This is an opportunity for deep discipleship. But so often we want a simple solution to this issue. But you have to understand that I built my cage brick by brick and bar by bar, and I reached through, locked the key, threw away the key. And guess what? Nobody keeps the key. And Jim, I needed somebody like you to begin walking alongside me 
unlock that door and walk with me because left to my own devices, I could go back to the corners of my depravity because they were very familiar. Uh, when I felt fear, anger, frustration, uh, whatever emotion, I had learned to use pornography to anesthetize my emotions, to regulate my moods. Uh, if something wasn't going right in my marriage or my work or or my life or whatever else was going on throughout my teen years and to young adulthood, pornography was a great escape. And it was a bad solution for all the other struggles I was having. And what I needed was someone to be in walking me through to understand why I was using pornography in the first place and how I could begin changing that and lean on God's promises, lean on the Holy Spirit to really renew my mind, body, and spirit. This is a mind, body, spirit problem, and it needs a mind, body, spirit solution. When we have a good process, then we can take one step at a time over time to find real healing. Now, Jim, let me tell you this. God can do anything, right? God can do anything. He heals people of their addictions of from cigarettes and alcohol and pornography, but often he calls us on a journey of childlike faith within the body of Christ to find real heart, mind, body renewal. So you said something just now. I'm gonna that that got me. I'm scribbling on a paper here because I've uh, been inspired by something you said. You said within the body of Christ. So you talked about this church over here that's uh, shame free, but they're also not necessarily biblically minded. Then over here you've got this biblically minded church that's legalistic and shameful. You know that produces shame. So you're talking about this middle ground, and I, I thought, you know, there's also, and I think you know, we talk about these guys that are involved in the thing, and I think there's also a third church that we have to we have to deal with. When you talk about within the body of Christ, we have a massive amount of men involved in our podcast that we hammer <laughs> because they are spiritually isolated. They are not involved in any kind of, I'm going to, they don't like the C word, so I won't use the C word. They are not involved in a weekly gathering of Christian community with other believers in, in the name of glorifying Jesus, right? So they're, they're not engaged in any kind of community, yet these guys are still struggling and these guys are still, you know, Christians, but they're wrestling. What, what would you say, you know, you talked about building your cage bar by bar, brick by brick, and locking the key. Well, the problem with these guys, there's nobody, they have nobody over on the other side to, to help them because they've isolated themselves from the body of Christ. Jim, I could have never gotten out alone. Yeah. And frankly, yeah. I, I look at uh, everybody I've met who I know who lives in freedom, who've taken this journey, they didn't get out on their own either. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lone sheep is a dead sheep. Oh, I like that. Know. That's a shirt design. That's a shirt design. <laughs> <laughs> right. We need one another. It's biblical that we need the body of Christ. Uh, we are not meant to do this alone. Ecclesiastes 6 is very clear about uh, that uh, two or more can defend themselves. One alone can is easily overcome that a cord of three strands is not easily broken, right? We, we've heard this over and over again. And, but maybe we've, maybe we've had some hurt in the church, right? Maybe uh, it is, feels a little safer not to be in the church. And I just want to challenge your listeners that you may have experienced that. 
But that's not God's design for the local church. Uh, he wants a healing community for you. And there are many healing churches out there. And I just encourage you to begin taking that leap of faith and get into a Bible-believing church that uh, can be a step uh, toward you finding real community and real growth. I'm, I'm so glad that you said that. I mean, I put that ball in the tee. I was hoping you'd hit it, and you put took out a, about a $650 driver and nailed it. So I appreciate it because, you know, when I see these guys speaking against the local church, to me, I, I hear hurt. I hear people who've been disenfranchised, and I'm going, and I'm thinking, man, but you realize that you're when you isolate yourself out there, you're you're setting yourself up for more and more failure. And I was just talking about this to a man the other day. That concept on the outside, it the form of it all looks good. Well, I don't need the church. I just need my buddies I hang out with. And they have all these excuses. The form of it looks good, but the function of it is a disaster. It doesn't function. We need the body of Christ in some kind of community that is safe and not shameful, that is mm. safe and has a safe process so that we can find freedom and healing, which is the title of your book, The Healing Church. So Jim, you, you hit something on there uh, that isn't shameful, right? And at the root of many, much of this, I believe, is shame, not only for pornography use, but also for withdrawing from the body of Christ. Um, do we, we really, do we feel we fit in um, are there, uh, have we been wounded in the past? Have people put things in our backpacks that we're carrying around still about regard to, to the church? And so it is, uh, you know, I call this, uh, shame and in, in re especially in regard to pornography that when you're using pornography and you fail, you're like, oh, God, I've promised you, maybe I promised others. I've, I've promised myself that I would never be going back to this again. And here I am again, and I've fallen again. And I call that shame, that self-hatred at my expense, because it keeps you trapped in rather than reaching out, it keeps you in isolation. And Satan loves that isolation. He loves to keep you right there away from anyone. So you're not practicing James 5.16. You're not practicing honesty because shame knows you're powerful when you're honest. You can't, when you step into the light, as he is in the light, right? That means things are coming open, right? You're, you're, you're getting to deal with this with other men, uh, especially. But that's, those Christ-like followers, those men are in the church. And so we may need to self-examine a little bit that maybe we have felt like um, some anger or pushback against the church. And need to recognize that maybe there's a little bit of shame there at work that's keeping us trapped in our current state. And you're like, no, I'm not, I'm not, I don't have shame over this. I'm just mad at them. I know I, I feel disrespected by them, which creates shame, right? Think about this. I'm going to give you, we'll use a wild example. I actually list this in the book too. But think about when someone cuts you off in traffic, uh, is, is your first emotion is your first emotion just anger? I mean, whether the gesture you made or the thing that you said, <laughs> is is that really what was first? No, that wasn't actually your first emotion. Your first emotion was fear 
and helplessness, right? And that you lost can you have lost the ability to control your environment. And so then next came the anger. Well, I think too that maybe some shame and some frustration and other things are going on that are underneath the hood of that isolationism that's pulling you away from others. That because we even for us that have been stuck in pornography, we believe the lie that said, if you really knew me, maybe you wouldn't love me. And we need, and, and, and that's where those are the lies of, that pornography teaches, that our enemy teaches, and that's keeping us in isolation, and we need to be in community. And I think along the lines of that community that gives us a safe place and a safe process is the second word, phrase, which is decision fatigue. Can you explain that? Oh, yeah. So decision fatigue is a very—we've all experienced this, right, where— We've been at it for a while. Maybe we're just tired and we make bad decisions when we're tired. <laughs> well, so you're watching TV late at night. You're on your computer late at night or something else. You've had a long day and you're tired. And there's these triggers being called being hungry, angry, lonely, tired. I also call them C-triggers, which are S-E-E, social, emotional, environmental triggers. And these triggers lead you to things like pornography or other acting out with alcohol or drugs or something else. It is, hey, I need to anesthetize this emotion, this mood that I'm feeling, and these triggers are what's leading you to that. So you're self-medicating with pornography or what have you because you've got these triggers at work and that decision fatigue where maybe you've been doing a good job all day long saying, no, I'm not going to go there. I'm not going to do that. But now you're isolated, alone, a little tired and hungry or what have you. And now that decision-making process isn't so great. You've made a lot, maybe you've made plenty of great decisions throughout the day, but your decision-maker is now just done. Toast. <laughs> you're toast. <laughs> That's good. I appreciate that. That's a, I wanted to throw that in there. I thought that was important. And the last one of this rapid-fire round that hasn't been so rapid... <laughs> I'm sorry. I, I know, I'm a little long-winded. Well, I'm no, sorry. it's not you. It's not you're not long-winded. You you say something, you inspire me, and I just keep. That's why I knew I would enjoy this podcast because you're 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 saying things that inspire me to another thought. So no, this is a more of a reflection of my connection to you, not your long-windedness because you're not long-winded at all. The last one is hypofrontality. This is on page ninety-seven of your book. This is part of what I call um, the porn rut. And there's four parts to the porn rut. And the last one is hyperfrontality. And the first part of the porn rut is uh, being very sensitive. Be, you've Over time, you've used pornography enough that you, the sensitization to it is just very, it doesn't take much to get things rolling, to get you thinking about it, to begin starting this ritual of going for pornography. Uh, the second is uh, desensitization, where you've used pornography so many times that um, it's really... Uh, you need more. You need to increase the the amount of the drug that you're using. So what used to be enough just isn't quite enough there anymore. And we'll skip to the the final part, the hyperfrontality. And the hyperfrontality, another word for that is just compulsiveness. Because you've, again, you've become very sensitive to pornography, that you've been keeping, you've been using more pornography or 
increase the dosage of pornography to more decadent, uh, violent ish things that now that brain is, have tra has traveled that so often that you can say you, maybe your decision-making power is really good with lots of other things. You can say no to a Twinkie or you can say no to this or whatever else it is. But when it comes to pornography, maybe it is a compulsive thought that just overwhelms your prefrontal cortex. You can't, you're, you're, th you're feeling part of your brain is saying, I need my drug. I need more pornography now. And I've heard guys talk about grabbing hold of the steering wheel, driving home from work where they've been thinking about pornography. And they just know that when they get home, they're going to watch pornography and they're grip, gripping that steering wheel, screaming, God, please take this away from me. I don't want to think like this anymore. Right. And they're dealing with that hyperfrontal brain that's focused on getting their drug. They've become very compulsive with it. I appreciate you sharing that. We're going to do something I've never done on a podcast before that's dealt with pornography. And I'm ashamed to say I'm experiencing shame right now because I've never done this. I've never had a guy on and we've never defined pornography. The funny part is your book's the only book I've ever read that actually defined pornography. Isn't that funny? <laughs> of all the books I've read and interviewed on page 25, you said, what causes you to look at with lustful intent? What causes your heart to treat another as a sexual object? What do you store in your memory for masturbation fantasies? Not just the object or image or video itself, but also consider the lust that comes from seeking to use these things for sexual gratification. Do you not know that you are defiled by what comes out of your heart? That is porn. That is porn to you. So can you? So I got guys listening. I'm sure going, hey, I'm not a porn addict. I don't. Blah blah blah. I just like to, you know, I just, you know, like to look at this or that or this movie or rated R movies or whatever. How would you? What would you tell these guys? Like, how would they? Should they define porn in their own lives? I might have just stolen your answer in, in you quoting oh, that's you. That's good. I'm, I'm glad to <laughs> <love> the answer. <laughs> well, listen, uh, we'd like to make a lot of things. That, oh, well, that's not pornography. Even though you may be acting out with it later or thinking about it later, uh, maybe it's invading you and maybe you're using it for lust later, even though, oh, that's not really pornography, right? The number of men that I've spoken to are a little older who grew up with JCPenney catalogs or Sears and Roebuck catalogs and went to the the bras and the panty section of the of the mail order catalog and used it like pornography is off the chart victoria's secret we had that situation with my son my sons at a family camp i told my wife you need to get rid of victoria's secret and my son said yes they said yeah mom you need to get rid of it <laughs> so that was the jc penny of the 90s right right yeah so if we think about that oh well that's that's not pornography, right? It doesn't meet those qualifications, but it was pornography to those men. And that's how they got trapped. I remember speaking at a conference and, and you know, this, the, the, this chapter sort of opens up with this and it was uh, the event was where people were talking about how they were struggling sexually and with pornography and other things like that. And, and they were began talking about more in detail about what they were struggling with specifically. And one young man said, you know, my, 
I struggle with viewing men, uh, men's underwear ads. Uh, men, you know, I, when I see underwear ads of men or, um, again, whether it is a website or a catalog or what have you, that was his struggle. That was pornography for him, right? So, again, it doesn't matter how clothed it is or unclothed it is. How are you using someone else to for self-gratification, objectifying others for your sexual se objectification? Uh, and so, you know, when we talk about what is in your heart, that goes back to Matthew 15, 18, 20. And Jesus says, for out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, self, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person. So we need to change our definition to what is or what is not pornography based on what someone is wearing or what someone is doing and ask Jesus because as a follower of Christ, you're listening to this podcast as a follower of Christ, what does Jesus define? And how can I live up to his standard, not lower Christ standards to what I think? Well, and I love your definition because that's, that's a, you know, on a personal standpoint, that's the girl in line in front of me wearing yoga pants. Uh, that's the gal who walks by me in the airport with no bra on. I mean, you know what I'm saying? Because in those sure. moments, right. in those moments, there's nothing that's I'm I'm not seeing any skin. But what there is is objectification, right? And you know, with a safe place and a safe process, you get to talk about those kinds of things. And yeah, and growth. And now, when you're confronted with those things, you can take every thought captive, right? So that's that's the power of being in a safe process, a discipleship process that really lead, takes you down a deeper, not just a, a Bible study, but an understanding of my sexuality, my thoughts, how I, and how I've learned to objectify that, how's that's come into my mind, body, and spirit, and how do I deal with a mind, body, spirit perspective to really go on that healing journey. Yeah. Well, you know, guys, uh, Sam just quoted 2 Corinthians 10.5 to take every thought captive. And and again, another reason for us to have a safe community of believers. Hey, you're poker buddies and you drinking whiskey and smoking cigars. That's fun and all, but that's not fellowship. Fellowship has come together in an environment where you can share the process together in a safe place. So we got to be careful to not call Christian gathering with our buddies, not talking about anything Christian, as a fellowship gathering, as opposed to a group of guys that come together with a sole purpose to glorify Jesus and to lift up each other. So I want to take some time here because you spent, throughout the book, you kind of peppered the book with all of these things. And I think this would be a tremendous resource for men and pastors. And I've never done this before on a podcast, but when I read the book, I thought, oh, Sam, you are a smart cookie. So what I want to do is I want to unlock and I want to bring to the surface uh, organizations and websites that help men and women and pastors who want to help their churches. And so I'm just going to throw out some what's, like the name of organizations, and I want you to tell me, hey, who's this for and what they offer, and if, if that's okay. What, how about we do it this way? Because okay. this can this gets a little overwhelming. Like we did a lot there, right? Like there's, a, there's some good stuff in the book that can really help. Yes. Three leaders, but how about we do 
uh, maybe three resources. Okay. Use right now. Would I'll, that be okay? Okay. I'll do the ones that I think uh, in Are, your book, I know the most. Okay. How, okay. I'm going to give you my right. top three, the three okay. I hear the most about. Is that okay? And yeah, I, I want you to tell me what they offer and who they, who they're for. So yeah. the first one is, uh, and I, this is, I mean, I feel bad even saying this, but it's true. Uh, my board of directors and all my paid staff have to have covenant eyes on their phones and their devices. So I have covenant eyes on my iPad, my computer, my phone, and just having that on there has eliminated 90% of my, uh, my temptation. So can you, and I, since you're, I want to, I tell people you're the president, but that's not true. You, I've never heard of covenant eyes. <laughs> Dude, you are killing me, Smalls. You are killing me. So tell me, so you are, you're not the, are you the, you're not the president. I keep telling people you are though. No, I'm not. I, I, I have served in a number of, of ways with Covenant Eyes uh, from vice president. I'm currently the director of recovery education at Covenant Eyes. And what we do is create, uh, we, we are founded on creating software and content that help people stop using pornography for good or never start. I've been there for almost 17 years. Love our mission. I've never been, this has been a, a great opportunity to be passionate about your work. Oh my goodness, it's fantastic! By the way, if you're in software development, et cetera, we're we're hiring for that. We need your help. So we'd hey, love to have you come. And I'm going to tell you, you and I've been offline talking about this. The one area that's frustrating for me, other people, like I've deleted apps off my iPhone because they become an issue. Uh, but if we could find a way to deal with these darn iPhone guys with their apps, I know droids, <laughs> you can deal with the apps, right? But you so yeah, so yeah. so if you are a software guy who knows, yeah, so hit, hit Sam up. <laughs> Yes. So we've released a brand new resource. So we create the software that actually monitors your phones, tabs, computers, and then there's an ongoing feed that you can re you can receive for your you could send that to your friends. So Jim, you could receive my report, and it shows you a continuous feed of what's happening on the screens of my devices. Now, it, it's artificial intelligence, so it, it monitors the screen for what is pornography, etc., and can elevate that to someone's attention, uh, but it blurs the screen before it ever leaves the device. So everything is safe. You're, you're well protected, but you're living in open openness and honesty with someone else. You're walking this life together with someone else. Uh, again, isolation kills uh, and community heals. So we want to be in community. There is a great resource from Covenant Eyes called Victory by Covenant Eyes. It's a brand new app. It's free. So you can download this. There's uh, almost 30 courses in there that walk you through understanding how did I get here? Why do I seem to stay stuck? How can I begin taking my real steps toward lasting freedom from a mind, body, and spirit perspective? And so uh, that's this is my baby. I get uh, all the courses in there. Uh, I've been working, uh, either writing them or working with other Christian counselors, all biblically based that really walk you through, again, how did I get here? Why do I seem to stay stuck? And how can I truly live in lasting freedom? And it's free. I mean, my goodness, it's yeah. free. Don't download it to your, your phone right now. Victory app through Covenant Eyes. Victory by Covenant Eyes. Victory right. by Covenant Eyes. Now, please tell me this is a small group thing, so guys aren't doing this alone. Uh, you can invite your ally to be part of that with you. And, uh, you know, when uh, an ally signs up to receive your reports now, they're actually using the Victory app. So you can go through those courses together. And we are working to add more and more uh, uh, interactions 
for people within it. So this is a growing app. What you see now isn't the, isn't the final thing. There's We want to have community within there so people can begin, like you said, walking together. Man, that's cool. I, I appreciate that. That's Guys, that's your boots on the ground, okay? I'm just going to tell you right now. Go get the Vic Victory, the Victory app by Covenant Eyes. So go get that, and you'll thank me later. So so that's no, my number one is Covenant Eyes. My number yes. two, you know, I'm up here in the Pacific Northwest, so I hear a lot about this. Just had their executive director on. I'm going to go. My number two is Pure Desire Ministries. You want to talk, talk to us through that? So Pure Desire offers some amazing tools. I, I, one of the things I've been led guys through it myself is their seven pillars. Yep. Of uh, course. Uh, there's a, it's a great workbook, comes with a, 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 a book that goes with it, a, a journaling as well. And it, man, it is a, the, the number of resources that they have is just fantastic. In fact, I was just speaking at a church. I was telling, telling you about this earlier uh, and talking about how do we become a healing church? And that church was opening their pure desire groups that week. And of the 1,400 people that were attending, 146 people signed up for their pure desire group on that Sunday right after church. So uh, what pure desire uh, groups do is really help you dive into that community fast uh, with a safe process. <laughs> so the safe place is built in with how they do it. And then the safe process is actually going through that course toward to learn to understand how do I live in lasting freedom? That's good stuff. I'm going to throw an honorable mention out here to two guys that aren't in the book. I didn't see them in the book. They might have been there. Uh, I really like Sathya Sam's information on, he has a ministry called Deep Clean. And then I like mm -hmm. the Freedom Fight with Ted Shimmer. Uh, he, yeah. They both deal with the roots of things. And so my, oh, you have his book? <clears throat> yeah, yeah, Ted's right. Ted's the real deal. Ted's yeah, the real deal. Right. And so I really enjoyed, his book was the first book I've ever read that dealt with roots of the problem. And then, of course, uh, uh, Pure Desire deals a lot with that. So I'm going to go with, I'm going to do... I'm going to do two more, so it'll be four, but one's a, for women. And if mm. I missed your number three, if I missed your number three, I'm going to have you share what your number three is. If I missed it, all right. No, say the no, so the number number two point to two point oh uh, is for women. It's she recovery for women, and we've you know uh, we have half of our listeners are women. So let's yeah. let's help Every the women here. And I think the pornography struggle with women. I think you quoted it. I'm going to guess it. It was about thirty four percent. That's so, right. so that's significant. So, so talk to us about the women. She, she recovery for women. She recovery.com, uh, created by crystal Renaud day. Uh, she's a great writer ha has written one of the books and one of the courses in the victory app by covenant eyes as well. So, uh, I just saw crystal this past week at the American association of Christian counselors conference. We, it's always good to see her, and she is providing amazing resources and community for women. So absolutely, if you're a woman who is struggling with pornography, this is your place to begin pressing in and finding freedom with others. So my third choice for men, and I have a feeling it might be one of your top three, because you 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 mentioned it quite a bit in the book. It's my friend Nate Larkin and the SAMHSA Society. Yeah, yep. samsonsociety.com. I actually uh, do newcomer meetings every Tuesday at one o'clock Eastern time. Uh, you can come and learn what um, what it means to be a member of the Samson Society. Uh, and it's a community of Christian men who are supporting one another to find freedom from pornography and other unwanted behaviors. Well, and, and Nate, is a it's, he's just a really 
down to earth, interesting guy. And he's got a guy that works with him who's a personal friend of mine from back in the youth ministry days. And they have a certain DNA that's just super laid back and, um, and really vulnerable. So, uh, they have a, a podcast called the, uh, pirate monk of pirate all monk things yes. that should tell you about the organization, right? It's like, they're just, yes. they're just a bunch of cool dudes. They've got like 400 groups around the country. So anyway, so there's a shout out for them. Yeah, I'm a pirate monk, dude. Yeah. Are you? I mean, I'm a Morro Bay pirate, but that's my high school days, you know, but, uh, no, I just, I mean, I just loved having, I was on his podcast and he's been on mine. So I uh, just love those guys. So I don't know if I hit your top three, but I'm going to give you room to wiggle here. Uh, if I, if I missed one, you hit, top, you hit my top three. Did I really? Yeah, you did. <laughs> That's awesome. I, I kind of thought, oh, I knew Covenant Eyes for sure. I was guessing Pure Desire, and then based on the, the shout-outs in the book, I was going to go with Samson Society. And so uh, and, and Keep Recovery. Uh, they, those are, they almost go hand-in-hand. Hand. If you're going to talk to men about a place for find, finding freedom, you need to provide a place for women to find freedom as well. Man, I, I, you know, I always have women tell me, what, what do you got for women? And I go, hey, we really focus on the men. But we have so many women that are hungry for Jesus. They're hungry to understand their husbands, and they're and a lot of them are struggling with stuff. So I'm glad that we can put that resource out there for them. Now, have I forgot anything as far as a resource? I know you listed a bunch of other uh, groups, but is there any other one that you should say, hey, this might be a fit for a certain type of person? Well, I just think the the what you've you've the shout outs you've given so far are just fantastic. I don't think any uh, any additional resources are just silver. So so overwhelming, but uh, get victory by covenant eyes. Uh, and they can use your link and your code to get 30 days free. Yeah. We're a, we're a, we're a covenant eyes affiliate. Yes. And I can't give that. So if you go to the website, you don't get that. So be sure to press Jim's link. He's, he gets the special stuff. Yeah. You can become a financial supporter of men in the arena by uh, becoming an affiliate with covenant eyes. That's a win-win all the way around, man. So, well, hey, let me read a quote from you from page 30. You said, pastors know they preach to people with secrets, but the masks are intricate. The smiles look authentic and the charade is unchallenged. Mm. I've had the same conversation with at least 100 pastors and it goes something like the following paragraphs. You'll recognize it from having had the same conversation with pastors in your ministerial association. So you really address pastors. So uh, as we close today, Sam, I know, you know, we don't, not all of our listeners are pastors and spiritual leaders, so we didn't dive into that too deep, but what do you, what would you do today to encourage our pastors and spiritual leaders to up that percentage from seven, get that up the charts so they can really help their body have a safe place and a safe process? Yeah. I think sometimes we listen to a few people within our churches give us such pushback about talking about anything we should, it seems too unseemly. I remember a pastor talking to me about uh, uh, preaching one Sunday, and he was talking about Rahab and reading from scripture. Uh, you know, she she is in scripture as not only David's great grandmother, but also uh, she helped defeat Jericho, right? So, and she was a prostitute and is said so in the Bible. And as he's reading scripture and says the word prostitute, uh, after church, some little ladies get around him and say, hey, pastor, uh, you just can't say those kinds of words in our church. I don't care where you saw them. And he says, Sam, what, what should I have said? I said, well, tell them to grow up, <laughs> right? <laughs> you need to grow up. Come on. We're dealing with difficult issues. Our world is not at least bit shy or embarrassed about talking about pornography and 
everything else under the sun uh, to our children and their teens and our adults. Why should we be backing off about what Christ's truth is to us in the Bible, right? So we need to press in and help people understand why the, what's going on. Why are they? Why do they find them trapped? How can we create a safe environment within our local church to create an opportunity for people to find in freedom? Now, listen. I, as you noticed in the book, I reviewed a number of studies, uh, and there was a direct correlation that showed that uh, pornography was undermining every ministry in the local church, from children's ministries and teen ministries to marriage ministries, right? We're losing traction because pornography is this underlying hidden factor that we're not addressing well in the church. And the studies showed a direct correlation between scripture life, uh, prayer life, uh, church attendance, whether someone, how close they felt to God, whether they felt God was listening to them, if they were used, the more they used pornography. In fact, there was direct correlation between how much somebody pornography someone used, and whether they would serve in a church board or committee over the next six years. Right. So, if you're not addressing pornography in your local church as a ministry leader, you need to understand that that inaction is undermining every ministry in your local church. Here's the cool thing. Every church that I visited you, I, I spoke to more than 70 pastors, counselors, ministry leaders, and those who'd been through this journey to write the book. And what I found repeatedly at churches who were doing this process well, is they said, Sam, all, this, all the studies are being reversed. We have increased church attendance. We have people that feel deep connection to their faith. Their their prayer life is on fire. Their scripture reading is, is focused. They are saying, Pastor, and this is the kicker. This is Sam, you, you need to understand, I don't do more now as a pastor. I do less because have these people having had a spiritual awakening, had an opportunity for discipleship and finding freedom from something that felt so condemning, they have gone on fire. And they're saying, Pastor, I'll do that. I'll take that on. Pastor, uh, you need someone to, to mentor that person or disciple that person. I can do that, right? So we actually create disciples who are discipling others when we can press into issues that are so shameful and so isolating. And now we turn isolation into community. That's so good. The work of the Holy Spirit and deep discipleship. Well, and I wonder, Sam, I wonder if a lot of the neglect of local churches to address this issue goes back to the top. You know, in 2000, in your book, you said in 2016, Barna's study reported that 57% of pastors and 64% of youth pastors said they struggle with pornography currently or have in the past. And 21% of youth pastors and 5% of senior pastors think they are addicted. Do you think that affects their willingness to dive off the deep end and help people? Or do you think there's some shame attached to that? There's, uh, it's all of the above. Okay. There's not one single answer for this. Yes. Is it harder for a pastor or ministry leader who's struggling themselves and don't know the answer to their own struggles? Well, they need healing too, right? But unfortunately, we keep shooting our wounded rather than creating a safe place and safe process for those in ministry leadership. So what we need to do as a church is not 
leave our youth pastor struggling or our senior pastor struggling or the or the worship leader struggling we need to invite them into a safe place and a safe process where they are discipled and once they come out on the other side of that discipleship process man they go on fire and i'm not talking about again the simple bible study or they love god they want to please god they just haven't dealt with the roots of their issues their struggle and so if we can help them do that well then they will give back tenfold to what you put in, help put the end to them. Yeah, and I think it's, you know, talking with Nick Stumbo with Pure Desire and now with you, and knowing that over 50% of our guys in ministry, and this is just the men we're talking about, struggle. If I'm a church layman and I'm a leader, I should probably ask the question because chances are over 50% that my pastor or youth pastor is battling that, and let's bring it out there and help them instead of fragging them, right? <laughs> You know, I, I went and spoke at a, at a major denominations event for ministry leaders and pastors, and I got there, and the senior pastor who was over it goes, hey, Sam, I really pushed for you to be here to speak because um, I'm supposed to be retired now, but the pastor that they brought in to co-pastor with me until this transition period, oh, well, he was struggling with pornography, so we found him unqualified. And we turned him loose. But Sam, you know, he said that he was, he saw pornography for the first time at eight years old. Would, does that early, or seeing pornography as a child like that, does that have any impact on them? Is there any, is there any issue that might be contribute to that? See, we're missing the very even basics. Why men and women are struggling. And often those in ministry have been hurt themselves and they've they've heard they've they've felt the healing power of Jesus in their lives in in many aspects but maybe maybe this one struggle is one that's that's held on right this one stronghold is held on but they want to give that healing that back to others that they have felt and so and through their through their growing up maybe in in middle school they said well when I get to high school I'll I'll be around more mature people and and this will go away Oh, well, that didn't work. And so when I go to my Christian college, because I'm, I'm looking at going into ministry and, uh, but when I get to that Christian college, I'll be around to the Christians and I won't, I won't uh, have this desire anymore. And that doesn't work. And then they go to seminary because, Hey, this is definitely going to work because I'm going to be among the most dedicated. And then that doesn't work. And then they go into mission field or the pastoral and they've never dealt with these root, the roots of the struggles that they're facing, this roots of the pornography stronghold, the roots of the unwanted sexual behavior strongholds, and the inter-ministry still struggling. And we, at that point, tell them they're unqualified and we're not helping them heal. We're not get, helping them dig to the roots of their issue. Because if we actually do that, I've seen it repeated over and over again, that if they were intended for ministry, they can come. They can come back, but that's not the first priority. The first priority is making sure that they have that healing in Christ, that they have that relationship with Christ. And if God wants them to move back into ministry after a meaningful process, not window dressing, then that will become evident. But the priority of restoration of our ministry leaders is number one a restoration and healing 
through Christ. You know, it's interesting when you say that. The book I have coming out through David C. Cook Publishing in the fall is called Full Capacity Man, and we take Mm -hmm. the 20 qualifications of a spiritual leader and turn them into one positive English word from the original Greek. And then through the process, we've decided through through numerous, numerous interviews that it's not all 20 but it's, it's up at the top. So there is wiggle room for if a guy struggles with one of those 20 to maintain uh, his ministry position and work through it. Uh, and I, I think the church sometimes requires a 20 for 20. And I mean, in a depraved world, we got to be really careful with the legalism is attached to that. So I appreciate what you're saying there. Uh, that's really good stuff. You know, this is very, you know, with this has to be written and thought about with some precision. Yes. We're not giving people a blank check. Yep. Uh, we're not saying, hey, th- we're just going to overlook these kinds of things. That's not that's not what we're getting at at all. Exactly. Well, I spent two chapters talking about how does pornography impact those in ministry leadership? Mm-hmm. Create restorative opportunities. Yeah, I love. Honestly, if you're a ministry leader, I think this is probably the most exhaustive resource I've found for ministry leaders. And I think if you're a guy struggling, you, you know, you just go through and describe these organizations. Just a great, great work. How can people get it? Yeah, so you can buy it wherever you normally <laughs> books online, uh, whether it's Barnes and Noble or Amazon, or what have you. If you'd like to download the first chapter for free, you can do that at thehealingchurch.com. Yeah, I appreciate. You know, I asked that question. It's kind of a redundant question because everybody knows where to find the book. But I really want our guys. You know, we want to highlight you, Sam. Uh, you're a kingdom-oriented guy. You've done a ton for God's kingdom in this issue. Uh, I appreciate you on a personal level as well as a professional level. So, man, thank you so much for coming on our show today. Back at you, Jim. Thank you so much for having me. Hey, no problem, buddy. God bless. Hey, man, as you know, our man laws, for the most part, are supplied by you, and they're contained in my book, Man Laws, 101 Ways to Lose, Get Your Man Card Revoked and Rules to Live By. You can get that resource free on our website by just giving us your email address. This man law is number 27. The contributor is Dustin Mitchell, and he writes, never hold a nail or anything you have to beat for someone else. Always be the one holding the hammer. You can't control someone else's aim. Not only is that a man law, Dustin, but that is just a wise comment. You sound like King Solomon there back in the day. The life rule here is don't, the life rule here is do a job with excellence. So thanks a lot for hitting us up, Dustin. Uh, Make sure you give us your physical address so we can send you some swag. And guys, make sure that if you have not subscribed to the Man in the Arena podcast, make sure you do so so you become more than just a fan of the show, that you truly become one of our followers. Until next time, feel the wet sand on the arena floor. Hear the deafening roar of the crowd. Taste the sweetness of victory. Smell the stench of battle. Get in the game. Get dirty. Grind it out. And be a man. What type of dad are you? Guys, in my 35 years of ministry, I've noticed that guys basically fall into two categories. And in those categories, there are four types of dad or four phases that you pass through as a dad. We just dropped an amazing quiz to help you discover what type of dad you are. Find out what type of father you are and get our custom resources fit to meet the needs and the questions you are asking. Head on over to menarena.org. Join 20,000 men from around the world and find out the type of dad you are.